uh, via Skype. <laughs> um, they had just moved to Nashville to be a part of an organization called Hope Force International that, among other things, is uh, first responders in disaster situations. And uh, Andrew had told me that others that had moved to town before, that they said that sometimes they'd be here for a year before they were ever deployed. They were less than 24 hours on the ground and they were already deployed. Literally, they drove through the storm on their move to Nashville uh, and dropped off their stuff, turned around, and drove back. And so it's an honor to have them here this morning. And as a church, let's be clear that this is, we get so confused as to what church is about sometimes. We think it's about going to a place and being together. There's a piece of that. The Bible tells us, in fact, what we based our premise of our church is that they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42 tells us, to four things, to prayer, to fellowship, communion, and to teaching, those four things. But in that word fellowship, that word koinonia, when, when Paul would say in Romans that we sent this gift to those that were the, uh, the persecuted and the oppressed in need in Jerusalem. And again in 2 Corinthians 8, when we gathered this gift and sent it to someone else who was in desperate need, he used that same word, koinonia. We sent our, our fellowship to you. So last two weeks ago, we were able to barely get to know each other and we were already sending our fellowship to Joplin. And gang, let me tell you, if you believe like I do that the time is short, that Jesus is returning, that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and things in this society. If we believe that, this is going to be a more important part of church than ever. Because Matthew 24 and 25, when it speaks of the signs of the end, when you get to 25 and it says, did you do this for my brothers? Did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you love me? That was in the context of him talking about the end of days. What will be the signs of the end? And he says, these are those things. And then he says in that context, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? As a church, we would be failing if we weren't doing that, right? So, Welcome to Conduit. You guys get a free bracelet because this is your first time to visit, actually, from the Skype visit. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about what it felt like? Um, both of you are very eloquent, so you pick one. When you rolled into Joplin for the first time, you're not rookies in this. What did it feel like rolling into Joplin? Like what emotions and things were going through your mind? Initially, we knew that when we drove in, we wouldn't see the worst of the damage because you wouldn't have been able to drive. So we were just okay, we're here, we're at the center, incident command center. Now we go out and the incident commander, before we even were assigned to jobs, which they were clamoring for us to start doing right away, he said, you need to come with me. And we went to ground zero. And when we were in Alabama, I was, you know, and I don't mean this, you know, it's, except it's not a play on words, but I was blown away by the damage there. But if anybody had, could have told me or would have told me it would have been worse in Joplin, I would not have believed it possible. But it was 10 times worse. When we went to Ground Zero, there was nothing standing. Trees were just twisted and stripped. And we saw that hospital. And pictures give you a little bit of an idea, but they just don't give the whole picture because you're immersed in it. And I, I was just mind boggled that only, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, that only 140 were killed. It was, I don't know how anybody lived through what we saw. So you're there, obviously you're, you're blown away. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and Andrew told me yesterday that one of the reasons that it was so much worse there that um, the tornado itself wasn't moving as fast. So it's like if you think of a blender, 
if it parks in one place longer, even though the winds in the tornado were as fast, it's just it wasn't moving as fast. And so thus it was able to do more damage than what it would have if it were moving quickly. So what kinds of work were you guys? I mean, you were working dust till dawn. I mean, I remember when they got here, they were, they were already exhausted. Because, um, you know, if you've ever moved, which half of our church has moved, like it seems like in the last month, um, <laughs> you know how exhausting it is. And so they're here and they turn around and they go. What, what, like, what kinds of work were you doing once you arrived in, in town? Well, Hope Force, um, we have the privilege of working with uh, many different other disaster relief organizations and uh, we're one of the four or five that has a memorandum of understanding with Salvation Army and Salvation Army as you know they've had disasters everywhere and so their people are spread thin and so um, they need people with certain skill sets to fill ranks that they aren't able to cover themselves and so uh, I was blessed to be, I was put in charge of a, of a basic needs warehouse. Uh, this, this was originally the uh, warehouse that was for the consignment store for the Joplin area. One month before the storm, they moved to a brand new huge facility, like four times its size. They were all excited about that. The problem is, is that with the debris field being three quarters of a mile wide and seven miles long within the city limits, it took that as well. As a matter of fact, there's a Ford pickup still sitting there today that's about this tall and about five feet long and maybe about three feet. It looked like it had been in a compactor. Um, there, there isn't any large doors for this thing to come in through, except for there's large windows that it got blew through. And uh, there was a, there's a safe that's about six foot tall, um, I guess about three foot wide and three foot thick. And uh, it was 40 feet from where it was bolted with one inch bolts into the concrete. And it's hard to imagine that kind of uh, devastation. But uh, anyways, the warehouse that I was in charge of was, uh, it was just an empty warehouse. And uh, the, um, about four days before we got there, they were doing their best to receive, as Salvation Army does, they receive all sorts of donations and, and such. And they just, they, they managed to get as many tables as they could together and they just piled the stuff on tables. And uh, little by little, we moved it from boxes and moved it to tubs and finally to new tubs. And uh, we were serving anywhere from 100 to 115 people uh, every day. Now I gotta understand, these folks that stand in front of me uh, are, are standing there in borrowed clothes. Uh, they, they, they borrowed a ride because maybe one one in six actually have a car. The car is full of glass. It has no no windows in it whatsoever. I mean, if it if it's totally drivable, uh, then th they just use it because that's all they have. Insurance may not come through for for some time. I can't tell you how many cars I filled with, with the basic needs of, of clothes, food, uh, toiletries, uh, and I just filled them. And yet it didn't have one window, or the doors didn't close. They're all bungeed closed and stuff. You know, this is a da disaster where people might have a house. Uh, but yet they got five people camped in their backyard because in, in tents because there was no no other place to stay. Yet their own house is totally uh, unoccupiable. It would be condemned in, in any normal circumstance. And anyway, it's hard to explain how we were able to uh, feed and clothe these people. Now Salvation Army had many other stations throughout the city where they were actually handing out hot meals. Um, and I've got a story to tell about that in a little bit. Okay. Hey, real quick. Hey, Ron, there's a guy out there with a camera. He's actually with the Tennessee, and he doesn't know that we are undistractable. So if he wants to come in and do the pictures in here, they're doing a story on churches that meet in school. So you can pretend like he's not here, but I, th I can tell he's like that awkward. Should I come in? Should I? Anyway. Um, um, I'm sorry. I, just, it just, he's, I can see the awkwardness in his face when he's looking in and let him know it's okay. Um, 
Can you relate to me a story? We, you know, we could go on all day, but was there one story that stood out of somebody that you encountered? Because this isn't about a, we can make it ethereal, it's about a city, but it's about people, it's about a person, it's about a family, about kids, about parents, anything that you, that you took away with it. Absolutely, lots, but one particular individual, and our director has said that life is a great equalizer, the issues of life. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of money you have, what kind of uh, possessions you have, when life such as a tornado hits you, none of that uh, matters. And this gentleman uh, came in last Sunday, actually, and I happened to be in the warehouse, which I normally wasn't, but it was just a God moment for me. Dressed in a suit and a tie, his tie a little bit loose because it was 95 degrees in the building. And uh, he said, well, I just was told to sign up there. And, and I said, as a volunteer, and I'm thinking, mm, not right clothes if you want to do that. <laughs> and he said, no, I need a few things. And he was so uncomfortable. And I just right away um, sensed that this is going to take a little bit more time than I could have. But I just put my hand on his arm and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah. And I said, is your family okay? And he said, yeah. They were buried in the rubble, but they're all alive. And he was just coming to get some diapers. And through the passing, giving him to a co-worker of mine who was able to take time to pray with them, just found out that he's really struggling even now with the fact that he wasn't able to protect his family. He was at work, he was fine, and comes home and, um, I don't know if sent home or whatever, but comes home and finds his family buried in their home. And just, you know, it's not just the occurrence that we pray for, it's not just the moment that we come alongside and help people, but it's the recurring things. So we had an opportunity just to, or my coworker did, to pray with him, and, and we've made other contacts, sent our chaplain to make contact with him. But I was impacted very, very much about the uncomfortableness of having to go to Salvation Army, that's always known to uh, help the down and out, and ask for diapers for my baby. You know, one of the, the things about the ministry of presence is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in the fire, and we're actually going to talk about that this morning, but that, you know, where they encountered Jesus was in the fire. And if we are truly the hands and feet of Jesus, if we're the body of Christ, then where we ought to be is in the fire with brothers and sisters who are in need. And sometimes, you know, I talk, uh, this attorney from Pakistan who had... Um, he loses almost every case because they're going, they have broken the law by converting to Christianity. But he's, and I was like, do you ever get discouraged? He's like, no, it's just, just sometimes it's to have, to hold their hand while they're dying to, so that they're not alone in the fire. And, and it's like to, to be holding someone's hand to be side by side with them in the fire is a profound ministry that goes far beyond any sermon I could ever preach or anybody, the best of the orders, uh, which I'm not one of, but they, they, they could just being there, so that presence. What does Joplin need moving forward? I mean, we're, we're obviously a small congregation. We're not a big and powerful anything, but what, what, is the, what does the city need? Is there something that our church can do or just the body of Christ in general 
can do moving forward for Joplin? Well, um, it's the individual needs that need to be met now. The scattergun approach is, is pretty well handled. You know, the debris, is, debris fields uh, are not like Alabama or other places where there's actually still some buildings standing. So I brought in a team from Pennsylvania and we did roofs and tarps and, you know, boarded windows. There are no roofs. There are no windows to board up. There are no structures. Um, so really the debris fields, uh, by and large, are being handled by heavy equipment. It's, it's just a bulldozer and so, once you get past that, which is about where they are at this moment, they are taking sections of the city and they make out a proclamation and this week, this section, and they're just going around with the heavy equipment. So what's next is really individuals' lives. And so it's the individual needs and, um, you know, sending out a reconnaissance team to, to ascertain that so you have the best use of resources. And so teams of folks with specific skill sets need to be going next. Um, and that's that's how we, we accomplished that. For example, my, the warehouse that I was in charge of, um, we, we could use teams of people, 20, 30, 40. I mean, I, I had teams coming through of 200 or more. But that means clothes need to be sorted. Uh, food needs to be sorted. And the, the UPC, this is terrible, hmm. UPC mark, uh, uh, code needs to be marked off because we had some families taking advantage and going back to Walmart with all the food that we sent and we gave them. And they get the you know the, the voucher and it's like you know I mean so now I got to have a whole team of folks everything that comes in the UPC code marked off and stuff it, but never, nevertheless uh, teams can be used still in the warehouse for weeks and months to come to sort and be a part of that um, it's sort of semi air conditioned you know, <laughs> which uh, is to say there's a fan yeah <laughs> sort of but uh, you know basically you, you team up with the local church you find out the local needs individually and you take it from there and so teams are, are you can't just take a team up there and not not know what you're going to do so, so you yeah. can be geared up you can't get on people's property without permission you know it's just it's private property so there's challenges that way but there are many churches that are gearing up that are receiving teams that are housing them and all that sort of stuff and there are there is a lot that can be done but it's on an individual basis okay everybody welcome andrew and glenn to the town <laughs> they're not only new not only new here but they're new in town so I would encourage you to uh, give them a hug, you know, tell them the great places to eat, maybe even and take them to one of those places, um, get their contact information, because, uh, you know, you know it is when you're new to town, you know, you know, they have some contacts here, but they really, you know, they just rolled into town, and God has already supernaturally, I would say, provided for them since they've been here, uh, but please uh, make them feel welcome um, to our community and to our home, so, okay? Thanks, guys. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing while you're turning to the book of Acts. If you have a smartphone with you, or even if it's a dumb phone that can do email, come on, that sounded funnier in my head. Um, if you have a smartphone that has email, would you take it out? And would you email, put into your email, david at mentorleaders.org? David at mentorleaders.org. David is our missionary to Togo, Africa. He's been living in a tent since April. And he just sent me an email this morning, and all it said was, hey, man, i just love to hear from you. I hope you guys are well. You could just feel his loneliness. So we're about to, he's about to hear from us. Um, 
just a quick, we miss you, we love you, David at mentorleaders.org. And let's, let's like blow up his inbox with we love yous uh, from Conduit this morning, okay? And he, you know, if he doesn't know you, that's no big deal. He's, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He'll, if you're not his friend, he'll be the minute you walk in here. Um, so yeah, David at mentorleaders.org. We love you, David. We miss you, David. You're not alone, David. Joe and I will be uh, joining him soon. Very excited about sleeping in a tent in Africa. The thing about Africa that's so different from here is really just the sheer number of things that can kill you versus here. Do you know what I mean? Per capita, there's just more things that can kill you there. Always remember this, though. You are immortal until God is done with you this side of heaven. If, if, if a lion gets me, that's pretty much my time to go. Do you know what I mean? There's no debating. That was pretty much it. <laughs> Statistically speaking, the chances of being eaten by a lion are pretty low. So if that happens, that was my time. Yeah, unless I'm Daniel. <laughs> Theoretically. Um, Acts chapter 18. On our scenic route through the book of Acts. I'm going to read it to you while some of you are finishing. Some of you are th- either have fatter thumbs or slower typers or both. One night, verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed on for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul had just had an amazing victory in this city. The, the guy that was like the guy, the, the head hog at the trough, at the, well, actually that's probably a bad metaphor for a Jewish, um, the, the big kahuna uh, at the, in, in the synagogue had just given his life to Christ. His name was Crispus, which was great because otherwise he would have been a Crispus critter. And if he, that was a grenade. You had to pull the pin and wait for that one to go off. But he... <laughs> He gives his life to Christ, and so Paul, you would think, would be rocking it. Like, this is awesome. But instead, he's kind of freaked out, and he's kind of panicked. And the reason that we know this is because the Lord came to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid. Now, who do you say don't be afraid to? People that are afraid. So Paul is freaked out, and in truth, with good reason. Because he remembered what happened in Lystra. Maybe you don't, but he was beaten and stoned and drug out of town. Those things that you see on the news, right, of, of, of uh, human, uh, human rights violations, right? He was beaten and stoned and drug out of town because they thought he was dead. He remembered, and that happened because, man, the word of God was being preached and people were being saved. And he remembered what happened in Philippi. In, in Acts 16, he remembered that he was beaten again, thrown into prison and held captive because things were going great. Which, by the way, isn't that how it often feels in our lives? It's like, man, things were just like I liked them. Things were going just awesome like I wanted them. And then, boom, something blows up underneath of you, right? And it just kind of feels that way sometimes. And this is what Paul was feeling like, okay, I know what's next. And so he's laying there awake at night, freaking out, scared, when the Lord appears to him in a vision. Why at night? Why not in the middle of the day? At night, crazy things happen, right? I mean, if you've ever been on tour, you know that 
sometime around two in the morning on the tour bus is kind of the witching hour for bands, like crazy stuff going on. But sometimes what happens is even worse than that because every, not every tour, but often on a tour, there is the night terror guy, okay? There is the guy that, and we had this on a tour in circa 2003 or whatever, there was this guy that would literally wake up in the middle, and like a grown man, wake up, and if, it's, if you do this, I'm sorry, I'm not belittling you, just let you know, this is how, it's, this is how I felt. He um, would wake up screaming. You could hear him just tearing, like by the time the tour was over, like the TV was gone from his bunk, the light was hanging there, the curtain was torn, and every, it was just like your heart would race when he did it. And there's another guy, actually, uh, who shall remain nameless, who was the walk-in-his-sleep guy. And I didn't know this, and honestly, I, I needed to put it into my contracts moving forward with my clients that I need a heads up if you're a sleepwalker guy. Because I'm at a, a, just some nasty festival in a field, which aren't all of them, in, in a field, in, and I'm in the hotel. And this, this band was really young and couldn't afford their own hotel, so I granted them hotel amnesty, and I allowed them to stay in my room. Because I'm at that age where, you know, look, I've slept on the ground for my, I need, and this was, you know, some super eight, you know, hotel in some super eight town. And it's about three in the morning. Okay. I am, I've lapsed into a coma at this point because I'm just exhausted. And I wake up and this guy is literally hovering over me, breathing like a werewolf, <laughs> trying to grab, like find something in the bed. Again, a little heads up <laughs> would have been nice. This same young man, by the way, had actually found himself locked out of his room in a hotel in his underwear because he had walked out into the, into the hotel. Like, and here he is, has no idea how he got there. Crazy stuff in the night, right? I mean, my daughter, Ashley, if you know Ashley, she's this little tiny little girl. And in the mornings when she was like 18 months old, we would wake up and she'd be in the living room or in the kitchen with her little butt jacked up in the air, sleeping on her belly with a half-eaten bowl of cereal and a, the cupboard open and the boxes all strewn around. We literally had to put those little safety locks in. We didn't know what was going on. Like, we'd never seen this. And apparently she was awake because she'd have a bowl of cereal and then just fall asleep in the, in the dining room. And we like, the world's going on at night, right? But the reason that God, I think, was speaking to Paul in the night is because at night, man, that's when the enemy comes. It's when you should be resting, but instead your mind is racing. Because the anxiety, the fear, the music's gone, the television is off, the noise is all there, and all you're thinking about is the mortgage that you have no idea how you're going to pay. All you can think about is, I am so underwater, how can I possibly get out of this? I, I just lost my job, and, and, and at night is when that seems to erase and to flood in to us. And the Lord knows this, and the Lord often speaks to us at night. I've, I've been there. I mean, in, in the early days of our marriage, I would just lay awake at night thinking, oh my gosh, I've given all the plasma. You can only give it like once a week, right? That's where they stick a coffee stirrer in your arm and somebody sucks the plasma out. And I, I can only do it once a week. And how am I going to you know, feed the kids? I'm, I'm working as a waiter. I'm giving plasma. I'm trying. And you would, I would just lay awake. And I'm a, the kind of sleeper that I, I, the thing would happen is if I'd wake up, I would try not to think about it. Because if I did, then I'm, boom, I'm up. But what I would do, which I encourage you, not to do, is I wouldn't seek a vision from the Lord. I would go to the television and just turn it on. And by the way, there's nothing worth watching at two in the morning, just FYI. It's either televangelists, the crazy ones, or infomercials. Thankfully, we didn't have like a house full of stuff that I'd ordered at two in the morning. But 
And I just wonder how many times did I, you know, vacate a vision from the Lord because I was so busy with the television trying to forget about what it was that God, that was on my mind. And instead of seeking the Lord, I just, I just don't want to think about it anymore. And that is what Paul, he's in that moment where it's night and here he is freaked out, a little panicked, a little anxiety. And God, Jesus appears and says, look, and he says these things, and there's, there's three things in what he says here that are worth noting, that are worth taking home with you, because I truly believe it's the cure for anxiety. You can medicate it all you want, but the cure, the medication dampens down the symptoms, and don't stop medication if you're on it, but I'm saying that the cure, that's a, that's a temporary fix. The cure is, is right here. He gives him, first of all, a promise. When he says, no one is going to hurt you. He says, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, for I am with you, and no one is going to hurt you. He gives him a promise. Look, no one's going to hurt you. And then he says, not only his promise, but his presence, for I am with you. I'm going to be with you. The promise, the presence, and he says, because I have a great many people in this city. Promise, presence, people. Those three things. In, in your situation, if, if you will allow those three things to enter into it, it, it isn't an overnight, it's not an a, uh, easy you know, uh, solution, it's a allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, his promise, his presence, and his people. And go to, with me, if you would, to the book of, of 1 Kings. Because... This wasn't the first time this has ever happened to somebody. Your situation isn't the first time that this, ha- that this has happened. This is a lie of the enemy as old as time itself, that you're alone, that you're isolated, that you're overwhelmed, that you are outgunned and outmanned and you are going to be monumentally and cosmically hosed. This is not the first time. It wasn't the first time with Paul because there was a guy, there was a prophet who had just had this amazing victory as well. He had gone to Mount Carmel, right? Which is not a new uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Mount Carmel. Should be though, right? Go to Dairy Queen and get that one. Um, Mount Carmel was where all the prophets of Baal had gathered to say to Elijah, your God isn't real. And he said, oh yes, he is. And he had this, uh, they had the little contest where they were gonna call down fire for their sacrifices and nothing happened. Because there is, it isn't a God. They're crying out to wood. It's as stupid as me praying to a door. Nothing's going to happen. They prayed to the wood and to the, the metal statues and nothing happened. And Elijah prayed and fire came down. And it didn't only torch the sacrifice. It had torched the literally barrel upon barrel of water that Elijah had poured on top of this to show them that there could be no question that there is no God but Jehovah. Into that context... Elijah, again, you'd think he'd go start his Elijah Worldwide Ministries Evangelistic International and put a sign on the door and print his business cards and go. But no, it says he was terrified because Jezebel said, I'll show you who's in charge. You can call down fire all you want. I'm going to come and open up a can on you and I'm going to put you down. And so he was so terrified, so freaked out, being right in the middle of God's will, he ran away. And isn't that what we do? Just run from it. I don't want to think about it. I can't figure it out. And so I'm going to run from it. He not only ran, he ran 70 miles away to a town in 1 Kings chapter 20. 
Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 19, let's go there. In verse 13, he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, by the way, Beersheba is a picture of an oath. It was where Abraham, it was where Isaac, throughout history, this town, it was a town where it meant well, perfect oath. It was a well that, uh, that Abraham and Isaac had visited, that they had made covenants with. He was running home to the Lord. He was running from his problem and running to the Lord, right? Understand this, that that's, we tend to run away from our problem and just run into another problem. The idea is that we should be running from our problem, running to the Lord. And look what he does. He gets to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. And while he himself went on another day's journey into the desert. So day's journey means that when he arrived there meant it was night. But look what he did. He went to, and if you've been around this church for a year, you know that when you see a tree in the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, it's a picture of the cross. He goes and he sits by a tree. And in this little vignette, the Lord has painted a picture for us of how we can respond to those things in our lives that seem overwhelming, that seem insurmountable. My career path that is tanked. I mean, I know that in our community, it's not all the music industry, but understand that for those that are in this world, 65% drop in the last 10 years in the music industry. That's greater than the mortgage crisis. And that's happening right in our own world. This, is, this feels insurmountable. What Elijah faced felt insurmountable. And here again, God will give him a promise, will give him his presence, and he will give him people. But look at what he does. He says that I, he goes to the tree, the first place we ought to always go, to the cross. It's always about the cross. Wherever we go, whatever problem we're facing, we are going to the cross. And he says that I've had enough. He said, take my life. This is verse four. I am no better than my ancestors. And gang, look, I know that, and understand, tune in here, that some of you, that that has actually been something you have said. Lord, it'd just be easier if I could just die. I had a conversation with a guy two weeks ago sitting at my kitchen table, and he said for a year and a half, and this is a guy that I, I've been telling you what, in a million years I'd have never guessed this about this guy. For a year and a half, he said, I just struggled with this thing where I actually, I would go to bed with a gun in my hands. This guy has three daughters, a gun in my hand, trying to find the courage to just end it. He had a company that was successful. It wasn't even an unsuccessful. He had actually just sold his company, and this anxiety had overwhelmed him. He said there were moments where I had it in my mouth. 38-year-old man. And I'm saying to you this morning, if that is you, please tune in here. Please do not let the enemy do that. That lie that I am alone, that I am no better than anybody else, just take my life now. That is a lie of the enemy because nothing that he would like better than for you to be off the scene. Do you go to heaven? Do you go to hell? There's no... There is no picture in the scripture that I can find that is eternal damnation, but that is not the point. The point is, is God needs you here. And when you step away from that moment and you step into that eternity, you have cut short what God, the plants, who knows what lives you were about to affect, but you let the enemy do that. And here is the picture, that anxiety, and some of you maybe feel that, where the anxiety is so heavy, the fear is so great, that I feel like, just God, just take my life now, it'd just be better for me. But look what happened. He says that he, he lay under the tree, lay under the cross, and sometimes that's all we can do. Go to Jesus and just lay. And he fell asleep. At once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around 
and there by his head was a cake of bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Gang, it's a picture. It, uh, please understand, it's a picture. This, these words were supernaturally recorded for you to hear today. Don't go to sleep and sleep it off. If you're going to wake up, wake up to the bread. Wake up to Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, to the bread, to the water, the water of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that would flow into you, his presence in your life, the water of the word. Guard your ears and guard your eyes of what you're seeing and what you're hearing because understand that that food that you are partaking is feeding something in you. Make no mistake. Feeding something in you that can get out of hand. And you're, Darren, is, I already burned all my secular CDs. That's not the point. I did too, and then I had to go rebuy them. The, the point is, it's the worst money at Bible college. I had to go buy all those CDs again. Because the question isn't, is it secular or is it Christian? The question, is it holy? And if it's holy, take that into your heart. Take that into your mind. Take the bread of the word. Start there. Darren, it's dry. Keep eating. Because the water, man, it'll make it moist. You just got to take some time. Take it in. The water of the word. Don't let yourself feel this isolation without going to the word. Without going. And I know it's hard. I get it. But you got to do it. You got to make yourself. Because look what the angel did. Elijah went back to sleep. He's like, no, no, no. Get up. You got to get up. He says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. And listen to this and mark this down and note this. For the journey is too much for you. You've maybe said this before, you maybe have heard this, you maybe have uh, written it, whatever, that, oh, the Lord will never give me more than I can handle. Understand, that is not in the Bible. That is not scriptural. You think, oh, yes, it is. No, go to 1 Corinthians 10 and read it again. He says, he's talking in the context of sin, that I will never allow you to be tempted more than what is common to man. You can overcome, so whatever sin you're battling, that is an overcomable sin. But he did not say that he will give us more than we can handle. He always does that. Because if we could handle it, we don't need him. So he gives us more than we can handle, and then he comes into the situation with the bread, with the water, with the cross, and begins to handle it with us, for us. And he says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And here we begin to see what God will do when we begin to eat of his word, drink of his spirit, participate in in him. When we start there, he gives him a promise. In verse 10, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars. And don't you, have you said that? Man, I've done everything. I've been tithing. I'm going to church. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. How, why is this happening to me? I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And it isn't working for me. This is what Elijah is saying. Why is it this? I've done all these things. I'm the only one left, the isolation I, we call this, I call this copying an Elijah complex. There, there's nobody holy but me, so I'm taking my toys and going home. It happens in the Christian music world all the time. It happens in the church world. We sit around and throw rocks at everybody, and that line of thinking only leads to isolation. There's nobody holy but me, so I'm just taking my toys and I'm going home. I'm disconnecting from the church. I'm disconnecting from the body because I'm the only guy that's got this right. It's an Elijah complex, and it's sin. He says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain, and look at this, in the, in the, where, the presence of the Lord... 
for the Lord is about to pass by. He invites him, he gives him a, a promise, and this is his presence. Come into my presence. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains. And it goes on, talking about an earthquake and the wind. And God was in none of those things. And what he's saying is that when the world seems to be shaking around you and everything seems to be crumbling, his voice is there. And he speaks to him, in a, not in the wind and not in the thunder, but in a, in a whisper. And he asks him again, what are you doing here in verse 14? Elijah, completely missing the point again. I've done all these things for you. Why is this happening to me? And in verse 15, the Lord gives him his promise. He's in his presence, and here is his promise. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And he goes on to say, I've got this under control. We're going to kill every one of these guys that want to kill you. Elisha and Jehu, they're all going to take care of this. This is my promise to you. And then, just in case, because Elijah, again, cop in the Elijah complex, there's nobody but me, I'm all alone in this. And in verse 18, he says, and yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. My presence is here. My promise is for you, and you are not alone. Let that be a word for you and for me this morning. You're underwater on your house. I'm not, a, I'm not leaving you alone. I will always, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's his promise, his, his presence to you, I'm sorry. His promise, and, and you're thinking, what promise? Go to the scriptures and find the promises that are for you. That I will never leave you or forsake you. That my God shall supply all my needs. What are those promises? And hang on to that promise that God is giving to you. It's why you have to start by going to the, to the word, to the water of the word, to the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit speak to you as you're in the word. And let that promise soak into you, his promise, his presence, and his people. Gang, do not let it isolate you. Don't hang out by yourself. Because let me tell you, that's the worst possible place you can be when you're feeling that kind of anxiety. In our body, we have villages, the small groups. Open up in those situations. If you don't have somebody in your life that you can talk to, let me tell you what, because when we're by ourselves, we think dumb stuff, really stupid stuff. And we need somebody who can be honest with us and say, you know what, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, Darren, that's really stupid. Don't do that. It's like Larry the, the, the horse guy when we did the horse ride last year. Uh, I loved it. He, you know, you'd think all these, you know, these expensive horses, he would give us like a whiteboard and a chalk talk. Here's how you ride the horse. How you, he's like, look, don't fall off. And if whatever you were doing when you were falling off, don't do that again and you won't fall off. We just, sometimes I just need somebody to say, hey, Darren, the reason you fell off that time is because of what you just did. Don't do that again. That was dumb. And in a body of believers together, I mean, every day at the gym, this, this young man, is, this is a wonderful gift to our family that's been a trainer for us. Every day he's saying, you gotta do this with your arm, and I'm, I am doing that. No, you're not, you're doing this. But I don't know that, because I, I need somebody to tell me I got, the, I got this, the form wrong, and it's usually like, oh, that does hurt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I officially isolated that muscle. I need somebody. We need to know that you are not alone. Have somebody that in the middle of the night you can call and say, look, man, this is really, this is where I am right now. And I just need to tell somebody. Because sometimes the, the, the power of the enemy is in our secrets. And when I speak that secret out, it has no more power over me. Don't hold it in. That's what you have to know. There are others that haven't bowed. You're not alone. This promise and this power. And go with me, and, and then we're going to land this thing in Isaiah. 
Because we saw the picture of a promise that was given to Elijah, a picture of a promise given to Paul. And here's a promise given to a guy named Ahaz. And I bring this guy up because he wasn't even particularly spiritual. Because you might be thinking, Darren, oh, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I've done a lot of dumb stuff. I'm not very spiritual. Or even, even this one, I don't have much faith. My faith isn't strong enough. Brought up in that environment where you got to have more faith. If something's going wrong, it's because your faith isn't strong enough. Let me tell you this. He said if you only have faith the size of a mustard seed that you can move mountains, that's not very much. That's all it's needed. You not having enough faith, I assure you, you do. But look at this. This is King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is about to, he's in the same position. He's surrounded. He's in a hopeless situation, seemingly. The, the 10 northern tribes have created a deal with Assyria and they're about to come down and wipe him off the face of the earth. And Ahaz is terrified. He's full of anxiety. He doesn't know what to do. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him in verse seven of Isaiah uh, chapter seven and says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Abram, Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is it's only resin. It's only him. It's like that is, it's not going to happen. And he goes on to give him this promise that when 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to even be a people. In verse 9, and then the heads of Ephraim in Samaria, and the head of Samaria, it's only Romero's son. It's not even him. It's like his kid. This guy's nothing to me. Chump change. And if you do not listen, and look, mark this down, if you're not a Bible marker guy or girl, this would be a good one to mark, to begin your career of Bible marking. If you do not stand firm, if you've got a King James that says, if you do not believe firm in your faith, then you will not, and the King James says, be established. You will not stand at all. Notice what it didn't say. If you don't believe and stand firm in your faith that this isn't going to happen, he just said, you're, you're not going to be established. It's going to happen whether you have faith about it or not. And there are countless promises in scriptures, one of which is his return. He said when he left, I'm going to return to you and, and come back to you. Now, whether or not you believe it, he's coming back. And the point is this, if you don't believe it, then you're not going to be established during this period because you're going to watch the news and think, man, that whack job in Iran has got a nuke. We're in trouble. What's going on in Afghanistan, what's going on around the world is our, our currency is collapsing. I'm, this is trouble unless you believe that Jesus is returning and then you can be established. Gang, it's, it, it's as simple as this. We've talked about this metaphor, but when I enter the, the, my life, my walk with the Lord, I have boarded a ship, I have boarded a plane and whatever is happening on that plane, we're still getting to where he says we're getting. I can freak out all I want and think this thing's going to crash. And believe me, I'm one of those guys. I'm a white knuckle guy. Look, what was that noise? But we're getting there one way or the other. This faith, this thing is about your comfort on the ride. I don't know how he's going to take care of your house. I don't know how he's going to take care of the marriage. I don't know how, but I know that God is in control. He is driving the plane, and it's going to be okay. Those sleepless nights that we experience, they're just needless. I mean, we can do it if we want to. We can freak out all we want. It's like when your little guy or little girl, you know, doesn't want to go on the trip. 
They can scream all they want, but while they're strapped into that car seat, they're going one way or the other. This is up to you how this ride is going to go. We can do this the hard way or we can do it daddy's way. And my word to you, my word for me from the Lord to you is just relax. He's got it under control. Find the promise in the word. And you might be thinking, Darren, what if I get it wrong? What about Paul? I mean, Paul in Lystra got the crud beat out of him, left for dead. What if my promise, I thought he was going to deliver me and he didn't? Paul in Lystra, it says that he, he records later that in Lystra, that I went to heaven and I saw things that, I was, that are unlawful for me to even write. I always question when I see the I went to heaven books, no, I don't know whether they're right or wrong. I just know that Paul wasn't allowed to write about it. I'm not sure why we get to. That's a whole other thing. But Paul said in Lystra, being beaten down, he was in heaven. And later in Philippi, he's like beaten and thrown into jail. His promise here in Acts 18 was that he wouldn't be hurt, but in Acts 16, was that mean that God wasn't there, that Jesus wasn't there? Oh, no, no, on the contrary. He was right in the middle of it. Because in that prison, when an earthquake happened and a jailer and his family that are in heaven to this day, I assure you that Paul doesn't look back and regret a second of what he went through because Jesus was there as well. Sometimes the promise is to deliver you and to not be harmed, and sometimes the promise is with you in the harm that he'll be with you, a steady hand on the wheel. But either way, his promises are sure. And again, a million years into heaven, I know you can't even think about it. Think about 20 years into heaven. You're not going to look back and think, oh man, that really stunk. Because then you'll get it. And now it's about faith. It's about understanding the promise. What promise? Well, maybe a promise for you is Romans 8, that in all things God is working together for the good of those who love him. In all things, understand this, God, when, when Adam ate of the fruit and turned earth over to Satan, we're living in a fallen world. Jesus would actually refer to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And understand that things are being redeemed in this setting so the promises is in, in those things that we don't understand, that we don't like, that are ugly, that are painful, that are hurtful, that God can still get in the middle of that and work it together for the good of those who love him. I, I understand that the, the, the things that we see in this earth now that are fallen, like, like snakes, for instance. By the way, I know what I'm going to look like, sound like, right before I die. Because if I, should I die unexpectedly and... Because there was a, there, this has happened to me twice. I'm going to tell you about one. I'm riding my bike. I'm out on Leaper's Fork Road, and I'm going by a snake that I swear is dead. It's just, what, you know, what kind of a snake just naps on the side of the road? The answer was this one. So I'm, I'm riding, and I get just right by the side of this thing, and it gives me one of those, It's early in the morning. I'm a big guy on a bike. May or may not have screamed like a girl. It was horrifying <laughs> because those little fallen creatures. <laughs> now understand that's the fallen version. Now at the golf tournament last Monday, Tim Bassanio, crocodile hunter, shows up. He, there's one down by the pond. This thing is like literally six foot long. And Tim picks this thing up and brings it up to show the kids. And everybody was like, oh, that's awesome. It's a snake. And so what I saw as a tragedy, Tim saw as an opportunity. <laughs> Redeeming it, right? I mean, so... Whatever snake is approaching in your life, know that there's another side to this coin.
that God can redeem those situations in our lives. And I don't mean to make light of it because I know that some of you guys are facing overwhelming, seemingly overwhelmingly things, odds and, and weights in your life. But know that your faith, that your promise, whatever that is, and Darren, and this is it, I swear I'm landing it. Your promise, what if I got it wrong, Darren? What if I thought that he was gonna deliver me and he didn't deliver me? Understand this, and we're, we're, Joe and I are gonna be on this international flight. If you've been on an international one especially, you know there's a map on that thing, isn't there? And you see how far you're going. Like you say, oh, we're making a stopover in Rwanda. That wasn't on the ticket. Um, but understand that no matter whether or not I understand what that map is saying, even if I get it wrong and I guess it wrong, I'm not the pilot. I'm still on the plane. The pilot is still in control. I might have gotten the promise all wrong and it's still okay because Jesus is still in control. You cannot mess up the sovereignty of God. You can't be good enough to make something happen that shouldn't and you can't be bad enough to make something not happen that should have. Not when Jesus is on the pilot of the plane. You can relax. Wherever you are right now, whatever situation it is, know that God can redeem it. God can be in the middle of it and work for your good. And my prayer for you is if you happen to wake up tonight thinking about it, to remember his promise, to, to remember his presence, and to know that you're not alone, to remember his people. We're all around for each other. The purpose of a church isn't coming to sit in a spectator you know, activity. It's for us to be there, not only for the world around us, but the community in front of us our brothers and our sisters. Father, we, um, we are in your presence right now. You said whatever two or more are gathered in my name, that there you would be in the midst of us. And I know there's a lot of weight in some people's lives. Some that I know and probably most I don't, but I know this, that your promise is true. Your presence is real and your people are all around. God, I ask that you would supernaturally invade our lives, that we would hear the promises, and that tonight, if we wake up, or the next night, or next week, that you would not allow us to television it, but to get a vision from you, a vision of your word and your promise, that we would eat of your, your bread and your water of your word and the Holy Spirit in our lives that would invade us from the inside out, knowing that the cure for my anxiety is you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.